Hello and welcome to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for the blind and vision impaired. My name is Ertai Shashko and I'm here with my co-host Jed Alexander. How's it going, Jed? It's not too bad. Uh, thank you, Ertai. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Sagrada, our feature game that we mentioned in the first episode. And our discussion topic will be about attending board game clubs as a visually impaired or blind player. So what are some things that you as a blind player should do to improve your experience during a board game night or board game meetup? And also tips for the organizers on how they can accommodate you during your stay at those meetups. But before we start with that, let's just talk about our past week and what we have been up to. So Jed, what have you been playing? I haven't actually been doing any board gaming this week. I was hoping to get some Cosmic Encounter in after our D&D session, but that was not the case. We ended up having quite a long session of final in the Curse of Stride campaign, uh, which was really good. Everyone really enjoyed it. It was a successful conclusion for the party, so Stride has been slain, and Barovia saved from his his terror, for, for now at least. Uh, but we are next weekend looking to do some board gaming and Cosmic Encounter is definitely on the cards there. That has been not just requested, but demanded by uh, the other guys. So that'll be be there. And I suspect we'll probably also do uh, probably some social deduction stuff. We might get out Deception Meta in Hong Kong because uh, we haven't played that. I would like to get Battlestar Galactica out if we can, but if we don't, I won't be cut. And what about yourself? Yeah, well, you mentioned Battlestar Galactica, and that's the game that we've been playing this week. Well, not the full Battlestar Galactica. We played the Express version that I talked about last episode. Yep, so and Republished as Dark Moon, as you said. Yeah, yeah, Republished as Dark Moon. And, well, last time it was our first uh, playthrough. We only played like two games, and the same group returned this week, and we wanted to play more. Now we were a little bit more experienced, so we played two other games, and it was a blast. Really, I had my chance to be a Cylon, a traitor, for the first time, and it was also the first time the Cylons lost. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that wasn't too. Too great because, uh, as mentioned, like in Battlestar Galactica Express, the Cylons don't know uh, who they are. Like, as a Cylon, you don't know who the other Cylon is. Yeah. And in other social deduction games, usually the bad guys, since they are fewer, they know who they are. And yeah, I was thinking that one of my friends was the Cylon. Turned out he wasn't. And on his turn, <laughs> he won the game for the humans. So <laughs> that was a bit disappointing. But overall, it was nice. I also uh, ordered a new game. I ordered Dice Forge. So I hope this upcoming week it arrives. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we also have new game night planned already for next week. I should be Tuesday. Having a bigger group over at my house... We are going to try and play Secret Hitler. We haven't played that in a while. 
and some of the guys that and girls that we have in the group are going to leave for university yep. and it's mostly like the capital is where most of the students go to so i live like 180 kilometers away from the capital and we won't be able to have them regularly as we did yeah so just before they leave one larger group and then we'll probably need to look for new people and yeah it's gonna be i hope i hope we can just go back to our regular routine and play weekly as we have been for the past nearly like two months it's just as well we're going to talk about uh gaming groups and meetups and so on and so forth if you're looking for new players we'll discuss some some things that you can do to improve your experience with new people yep (laughs) yep anything else to add not from me okay well then we can move to the feature game of this episode which is sagrada the name comes from the sagrada familia basilica in barcelona i've had the opportunity to see it in real life back in 2011 i well my brother uh, was lucky enough to be drawn in a lottery where uh, you got to see the formula one race in barcelona at the track and it was all expenses paid weekend trip to barcelona so that's when i got to see sagrada familia which was fantastic Uh, that's not a bad deal (laughs) yeah and now let's go back to the game so in the game it's a dice drafting puzzle game Uh, can be played up to four players there's also a solo variant Uh, the game is published by floodgate games and it usually runs around 45 to one hour 45 minutes to one hour so as someone who owns the game jed can you tell us how sagrada plays certainly so as you said it is a dice drafting puzzle game it is quite similar to azul now i haven't played azul as a drafting uh the tile uh, puzzle game i i haven't actually played it but i do know people who have who have also played sagrada and they do agree that it is is a very similar game so in terms of what you're what you're going to get with this game the components you're going to have some window frames you're going to have a bunch of pattern cards which are the pattern that you're trying to complete when you're di- drafting dice, you're going to get a, a swag of dice. There is a lot of dice, uh, and they are in five different colors, yellow, red, green, blue, and purple. These are all six-sided dice, and they are the standard uh, 12 millimeter, I think it is, size. You will get five private objective cards, which is one of each color, so the colors that I just mentioned, and those the, each player is going to get one of those cards, and they will be trying to get as many dice of that color as possible to score the most points. There are a number of public objectives, of which you'll be using three in any one game, and these include things like every set of, or every pair of uh, one and two, every pair of five and six, every set of each of the five colors, that sort of thing, and the points value of that it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary from card to card. There is also some ability cards, again, of which you're going to use three. And these can be activated throughout the game to 
do things such as ignore placement restrictions or uh, shift your dice around or maybe re-roll some dice. And to use those abilities, you're going to be spending these glass bead gems, of which you will be given a number at the start of the game based on the difficulty of the pattern you're going for. So each round, you're going to roll, or one person is going to roll, a number of dice equal to number of players times two plus one. So if in a three-player game, you're going to get out six dice plus one, seven dice. They're going to roll those, it's random dice, and that's going to give you a variety of dice to draft from. The person who rolls the dice is then going to draft one. Then going clockwise, you each draft a dice. When the last person has drafted their first dice, they then get to draft a second, and then you pass back drafting counterclockwise. The final dice is then placed on the round tracker to keep track of the round. After the dice are drafted, you then place them in your window. So your pattern will slip into the window frame, and you'll have a grid that is 5 by 4. Your pattern card is going to have some restrictions on it. White spaces can be anything, but there'll be other spaces that have particular numbers that mean you have to place particular number dice there, and other spaces that are particular colors, so you need to place particular color dice there. When placing your dice, the first one must be on the edge of the frame, but from then on all dice must be placed adjacent to dice that have already been placed. Other than those restrictions on the spaces, which are particular colors and particular numbers, you cannot place a dice of the same color next to a dice of the same color, and you cannot place a dice of the same number next to a dice of the same number. This is just your left and rights, this isn't the diagonals. So that's that's where the challenge comes in, is, is keeping, keeping track of you know, what dice needs to go where, picking the right dice to go in the right spots, and trying hopefully to pick up as many dice as the as possible for the color that you're going for. Once everyone, uh, once you've had ten rounds, so that gives an opportunity to get the twenty dice needed to fill your window. You're going to count up points. You're going to score one. Uh, you're going to score points based on the pip value of the dice of the color that you're going for. So if you were going for blue and you've got I don't know three blue dice and they are values five, four, and I don't know two, that's a total of eleven. So you get eleven points. You will get points based on your completion of the private objectives. You will get points, one point for each gem you have left at the end of the game, and one point off for each space you failed to fill. That's it. Because our podcast is about accessibility, I'm going to be asking you a few questions about the visual accessibility part of this game. First, I noticed that, well, the majority of this game is linked to color pattern matching basically yeah so looking at the colors uh, we have five as you mentioned blue yellow purple green and red and I from what I've researched I noticed that this game is a little bit well not a little bit more than a little bit of a problem for people suffering from color blindness I think it depends on the type of color blindness you have, but certainly that's going to be one of the biggest challenges, especially if you're, you know, you don't have other sight deterioration. It's just color blindness, so it's more likely you're going to have red green color blindness or whatever. I think, yeah, that's going to become quite a challenge. For me personally, you know, I have total color blindness because of the way my sight's deteriorated. 
And the red and the yellow is fine, and to put telling them apart from any other dice is no problem at all. The difficulty comes with the blue compared to the purple, and the blue compared to the green. So the green and the purple beside each other, that's fine, but it's it's really that, that difference between the blue. I think blue and purple, if, if I can't, I might not notice it at a glance, but if I take a moment, you know, I can pick up on that. Uh, but still the blue and the green is a bit, is still a bit iffy. And that's that's pretty standard, I think, with most games. I, I certainly found or find that blue and green... I, I can't think of a game where blue and green are used where it's easy to tell apart or there aren't times when I mix them up. So it's it's certainly a valid criticism. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can take that little bit of time to identify them or even with the assistance of other players, then I think you'll be able to overcome that. I should also note that the colors that appear printed on cards, so whether this is the private objective, whether this is the patterns, or whether it's the the public objectives, those colors are a different shade to the dice. And I actually find those colors more difficult to distinguish from each other than the dice. So the, uh, the green and the blue printed on the card, purple and red printed on the card and the yellow and white white is for spaces with no restriction those all become more challenging to tell apart certainly yellow and white i at a glance i i don't notice that at all and yeah it's it's only uh until someone points it out usually that i realize oh that's yellow and that can mean you can mm, you might yeah. put yourself in a position where you you've stuffed yourself <laughs> because of that so that is definitely a challenge yeah and i'm guessing the dice because they are translucent do they uh like based on the light the ambient light in the room or if you're playing outside does that also introduce difficulties or is that not much of a problem look i really haven't noticed to be honest i've only played in regular sort of room light i haven't played in an environment with excessive amounts of light i have played in environments with a lack of light and in that case i've found that my own window isn't too much of an issue telling you know identifying the dice in the dice pool might be a bit harder but I generally haven't found that an issue that light makes much of a difference in terms of how hard or easy it is to tell the dice apart. Well, because the dice are public information, I guess it gets a little bit more problematic uh, in higher player counts. Like when there are four players, you have more dice. So if you can't see them well, you have more data to process, basically, when the other players read the numbers to you. Yeah, th- there, is, there is that. But, I mean, even then, the maximum amount of dice you would have to choose from would be nine, which isn't, I think, too much. And especially if, you're, if you've rolled the dice, it depends a bit on how easy it is for you to tell the pips. As I said, these are 12mm dice, so they are small. There's no reason that you couldn't have some larger dice on hand for for the purposes of rolling and then you know use the smaller dice to place or something like that mm-hmm. but the contrast with the pips to the colors of the dice themselves i find really really good with the exception of yellow and this is because the pips are white but i find that white 
contrasts really well with all the other colors. But you certainly, having the other players read out what is there, uh, organizing the dice so that, you know, organize the same colors together, or organize them so the numbers are the, you know, in a row so you can easily tell that they're in ascending order or something like that. All of that sort of thing will help you. And because it's all public information, you have sighted, and you have, if you have sighted players on hand, then they're going to be able to assist with that. And certainly I've found that, you know, we roll the dice, it's read out to me, I only need to be told once, and I'm I'm happy with what's there. And it's just about, you know, you want to be keeping track of the dice you were hoping to get. Like you think, oh, I know I need a, a green five to go in a particular spot for whatever reason. You've got that in your head that as soon as someone says, oh, there's a green five and a green three, and you're like, ah, oh, I want the green five, you know. So there's a bit of memory work there then, I think, more so perhaps than in than in other games. So does, uh, does it matter... Uh, like, do you have to pay attention to what other players are doing? Like, do you gain anything or lose anything from blocking or not blocking other players' moves? Like, besides your own pattern that you need to, like, fill up with dice, do you need to try and block other players from, like, taking a certain die? No, I don't, I don't think there's any benefit to be had in that. It's, in this regard, it's multiplayer solitaire or solitaire multiplayer, whatever, whichever way around you want to put it. I think you're better to draft the dice that helps you rather than the dice that hinders someone else. For example, if there was a, I don't know, if there was a red six and you know you're going for red, but there's also a, a blue four and you know that this is blue hasn't been showing up at all and it finally shown up and there's this player who needs that blue four absolutely needs it at, at most you're going to dock them one point because they're not going to be able to fill that gap whereas if you forego that red with its six pips on it that you would want to be going for that's six points you could have so i think it works out better just to go for what you want and don't worry too much about what others are doing so the only hidden information in this game are the private objective cards? That's right. That's the only hidden information. So to mark yeah. those cards would be pretty simple. Yeah, because as you mentioned, they are a bit harder to distinguish the colors on. They come with... They are, yeah, they right. are only five cards which contain the colors that the dice also have. So green, That's blue, correct. purple, yellow and red. Yep. So you can just mark those cards like if you can't distinguish them and that solves that problem yeah i think so so far we've been talking about partially sighted players and that also depends like to what degree your sight is damaged or deteriorated what about uh, completely blind players like that would probably put me in that category because i play most games blind so I'm guessing, like from what I've seen, it's not impossible to play this game, but looks like I should look for something else. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. I I, I think with Sagrada, the to me that the thing that really you need to be able to do is is look at your five by four grid and be able to distinguish the colors. To me, the colors is the most thing, or at least to be able to tell that this dice is either green or blue, it's one of the two, or 
this dice is either blue or purple, and then, you know, you can tell where the yellow dice are, and you can tell where the red... Being able to look at that and tell that at a glance, to me, that's really important. And if you're totally blind, you're going to be having... You're going to have to double-check the pattern that you've been building every single turn, every single time. And while there are things you could do that more than just asking everyone at the table what's there using a spreadsheet where you're mapping out the different dice, the colors and the numbers and where they are and getting that to be screen read back to you, you're still going to be checking that information every time. There is the possibility of using accessible dice, having your own personal set of accessible dice that you just have 20 on hand and mark them for color somehow, I'm not sure. And you could do up a grid that matches your pattern and you know, place them out in front of you so you could feel them. But again, I think that's a much harder way to play the game and will probably lead to a little more frustration. And I don't think it would be quite as enjoyable as being able to just look and see this pattern or be able to tell, you know, roughly what the pattern is and the way it's going. So it's, yeah, it's not impossible, but I don't think you'll get as much out of it. So you mentioned... Using a spreadsheet, I've also noticed that Meeple Like Us, a site that we mentioned in our uh, intro episode where they do accessibility teardowns on games, they also mentioned that using a spreadsheet could be a way to make the game accessible for the blind, but they still tentatively recommend doing that. Like, if you really, really want to play the game, you certainly can do something to make it playable. Now, whether that will be enjoyable, as you said, that still is a question. And you probably should spend uh, your money on a game that's more accessible to the completely blind. Yeah, I think if you're, if you're totally blind, that's that's probably a good recommendation. Is there anything you would do just to make it a little bit more accessible? Like, is there anything you would change in the game? For instance, would you change the yellow color to something else so that you can distinguish the pips on the dice easier? Or do you think that would break from the visual aesthetic of the game? Yeah, well, that's that's part of the problem. I mean, the white pips are annoying on the yellow dice and you could certainly do them as black, but then they're different to every other dice. And so you you break that visual aesthetic and the game... I think is quite visually pleasing. I, I like the colors of the dice. I like the, the window frames. So, yeah, you you would lose a bit of that. I mean, certainly, I, I don't think there's anything easy or simple that the developer could do to improve on that, uh, other than maybe reviewing the shades of color that are used to be printed on the cards. That's about the extent I think of easy solutions to to rectify or even just having on those cards printing the color as a word as well especially on the private you know particular private objectives that's that's about the extent of the easy stuff I'm not sure that there would be an easy way to solve all of the issues uh, and you know improve accessibility dramatically do you have anything else to add it's it is an enjoyable game and as someone who's vision impaired who's still able to read the dice who's still able to 
distinguish those different colors apart, even if it takes me a little bit, or even if I have to ask for someone else to to tell me what they are, so I can uh, you know process it myself. It's it is an enjoyable game, <clears throat> so I think it's worth if you're unsure how well you could you would handle the colors and handle reading the numbers. If you can find someone else with it, or you can get along to a, a meetup or a group to give it a go, then you should give it a shot. You should definitely give it a go, because it's a good uh, light game. It's a good game to play with people who don't necessarily play board games all the time. And that way, if it isn't quite for you in terms of your ability to play the game, you haven't lost out on anything. Okay, then. So, that was Sagrada. If you happen to be partially sighted or completely blind and have played this game we'd love to hear your thoughts on this game or whether you've uh, done some modifications to make it more accessible so let us know and we'd be happy to share your mods on our podcast moving on to our discussion topic for today we said that we're going to talk about attending uh, meetups uh, at board game clubs or Friendly local game stores, perhaps finding meetups through Facebook, and how you can improve your experience there as a visually impaired or blind player, and also what the organizers can do to accommodate blind players. So, Jed, uh, you have attended a board game club. Uh, I've already mentioned in a previous episode that uh, my town is quite small and we don't really have a board game culture here. Uh, So it's mostly with people you know, like friends, and there is not a central place where I can go and find people interested in board games. For that, I'll need to travel to the capital again. (laughs) And the only Facebook group that I know of in my country has about 200 something members in it and 90% of them are located in Skopje, the capital. So what is your experience with attending a board game club? So I've, I've had, I've, I've attended, I've attended a board game meetup and I have gone to a a weekly club that is run here. And, uh, it was, it was different. Both the experiences were different because in the first instance in the, at the meetup, I actually went along completely on my own and I didn't know anyone who was going to be there or anything like that. I, I Personally, I don't even know what the hell I was thinking doing that, but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> um, the, other, the other time I was with a group of friends and we went to this club. So <clears throat> I think the... The meetup, I was really pleasantly surprised. It was really good. The guys were really helpful and uh, keen to like play games that I could play. But also, in in one case, the guy who like he was keen to just modify his game like right then and there to to make it more accessible. Oh wow! Which was pretty crazy. Uh, the club that's actually where I played Sagrada. Funnily enough, we played Roll for the Galaxy. Then we played Sagrada. Uh, and then we played some Liars Dice as well with, with the dice from Sagrada just because that was just to, to finish off sort of thing. And I think in both of those, both those instances, I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised, uh, but particularly, particularly the meetup, I think, going along with, with people I didn't know, you know, to just a bunch of randoms that I didn't know. <laughs> so. When you went, like, uh, was the first thing that you did to contact the organizer? 
like tell that you're looking for some accessible games to play or did you just talk to a group that were looking for a, another player how did that go well in the case like look i would really recommend that if anyone wants to go along to a meetup or a club you really should flag ahead of time that you are vision impaired or especially if you're totally blind you should really be flagging that up front and having a conversation with the organizer about what sort of people come what sort of games are played so you can make sure that there are things there that you're going to be able to play and if you don't have any experience with games this might be a difficult thing for you to be able to tell so in this instance if you're if you're new to gaming you might want to you not just might i really would recommend you play with family or friends first or try and find opportunity there just so you can get used to playing games you can get a bit of an understanding about what you can do and what you can't do so that you can talk to an organizer or when you arrive other people that you play with to to get a so that you can explain to them what sort of assistance they can lend you in my case i actually didn't warn them <laughs> for the meetup which was uh in hindsight Eh, maybe not the best idea, but it worked out all right in the end. And as for the gaming club, well, I was going with friends, so I didn't bother. You know, they they knew, and I knew I would be playing games with them, so that was that was good. And it's yeah. it's a bit, you know, when you rock up to somewhere with a cane, it's pretty obvious that you're blind and vision impaired because you've got a cane. You know, <laughs> so yeah, it's not like yeah. you hide it. <laughs> Right, and you're partially sighted. So if if a totally blind uh, person wants to attend, and let's say they desire to attend alone, and they're new to the hobby, would you recommend doing that? Or as you said, first, it's much better to try to at least have someone with you or play some games with people you know before taking the step Look, as i said you really you really want to be playing games first i think before taking that step and especially if you're total i think if you're if you're partial it all comes down to how much you can still see and that's what's really difficult when we talk about vision impairment and partial sight is that everyone's experience is different and your capacity to do things on your own is drastically different so what i might be comfortable you know, I might be comfortable going along and doing something. Others who is, who are partially sighted might not be able to do that. And then there are others who are partially sighted who, but have more sight than I do who would be even more comfortable and would be more flexible and they might even, you might not even notice, you know, they might not be using a cane or something. And so it's, mm-hmm. they might, it might not even come into play or, you know, come up as a topic. But if you were totally blind, I find it difficult to believe you'd be going along to a group or a meetup on your own anyway, but if you were, I really think you should be getting some experience with gaming first, just so you know what it is that you can do and what it is, what's some strategies you can employ to be able to play different sorts of games with different sorts of mechanics. Um, that's, yeah, it's it's really something you need to be sort of a cross before going along. If you've got someone with you, eh, maybe you could do it all right. You know, you could go along with someone. If you're both new, might be tough, but if if certainly at least one of you has some experience, you shouldn't 
you shouldn't worry too much. I don't think you you'll be okay. I'm sure. It doesn't matter which you know, what meetup or group or club or whatever you go along to. They're bound to have a game that is going to work for you because there's going to be a variety of games on you know on display or on offer. Yeah, and well, you should also be aware that as a visually impaired person, most games might require some kind of modification and you should not be expecting that, for instance, John has brought his own game of The Resistance and you want to play it, but without marking the cards, you are not able to tell what ro- secret role you have and he might be uh, he might not be too keen on modifying his copy and that's fine so that's not a bad thing so when attending a board game club you shouldn't really expect that people will want to modify their own games to accommodate you if you're bringing your own copy that's fine you can do whatever you want to your own copy but you shouldn't really expect that other people will modify and, let's say, ruin their games. That's right. And at a meetup or a club, maybe at a meetup, but depending on the uh, the setting, the materials to modify a game may not be on hand anyway. So that's just another thing to keep in mind, even if someone, or if you bring your own game and you are willing to, to make a modification, that's just something to keep in mind as well. We said that we will also talk a little bit about what the organizers can do to accommodate blind people. So if someone flags beforehand, as you said, as a visually impaired uh, or blind person, I'm guessing what organizers can do is try to have gateway games that are not Carcassonne. (laughs) So something uh, like... A cooperative game for like Pandemic or Forbidden Island, for instance, where the information is not uh, hidden. So games have public information and these games also do not require any kind of modification to make accessible. We are going to talk about a topic in a future episode, which is called quarterbacking or the alpha gamer syndrome. Or coaching. And briefly... We tend to say coaching, yeah. Yeah, coaching. Uh, So briefly what that is, is when one of the players who is most experienced, let's say, in the game is basically trying to make the moves for everyone, just suggesting, or as you said, coaching the other players what they should do. But the interesting part about that is if a game suffers from that, like that's still a problem with the player if they're doing that. But if a game is susceptible to coaching. Uh, The interesting thing is that it's very accessible to a totally blind person because all the information is public and with sighted assistance, so with a sighted player assisting and just updating the blind player on the board state, the blind player can be aware of all the options they have and all the choices that they can do. So adding cooperative games to the collection of games that can be played at a meetup is a good idea to accommodate blind players. I would also say competitive games with open information and without too many choices 
for instance, like Carcassonne, where you can place a tile in a lot of places and need to match other tiles. So something like King of Tokyo, which is a competitive game, would be nice to have in the collection. Do you have any other games in mind that would be a good idea? Yeah, I mean, any game with social deduction or social interaction mechanics like bluffing, again, better if there's, you know, the less hidden information, the better. But if there are ways to get around the hidden information that don't require modification, or if you're bringing your own copy of that game and it is modified so that, you know, you can play it, uh, then that's okay. So I think... To, to my mind, that the best game that sort of fits that, that's a social deduction game, which has hidden information that you can work around easily, is Deception Murder in Hong Kong. Uh, there is, probably talk about it later, because I, I do quite like the game. I think it's fantastic. Uh, but you can get around the hidden information through basic, basically just messaging. <laughs> through like Facebook Messenger or something by messaging the hidden information to the forensic scientist who is the, the sort of hmm. game master type role for who's going to be uh, directing the, the inquiries into who the bad guy or bad guys if you're using the witness uh, sorry not the witness the uh, the accomplice uh, role then they could that that's a way to work around the hidden information there. And so that doesn't require any modification. So those sort of social deduction games, interaction, bluffing, that sort of stuff, that's all incredibly accessible as well. So limited hidden information and more and, and able to be played or directed via talking and listening. That's the sort of stuff you want to have on hand. I suppose the final thing to say about when you're rocking up to a club, first things first, Go and introduce yourself to the organizer. That's just, it should be a no-brainer, but really that's what you want to do. And take on board their recommendations. If you don't have much experience, if you do have some experience, then you probably have some idea of what you're looking for or what you'd like to play or what you enjoy playing. So put those out there and find out if they're uh, available, if there are people willing to play. And... When you are playing, it's, I think the most important thing is just to make everyone really aware of what your abilities are. Don't, don't pretend like they're going to be able to figure it out because they're not your friends and family that have spent a lot of, you know, a lot of time around you. They don't know what you can and can't do. So you probably are going to interact with some people who don't do much for you and, get grumpy when you want to take a turn back or something but you'll and you'll also interact with people who are the exact opposite they're over helpful they think you can't do anything at all um and they're they're too helpful but the the best way to work around that sort of stuff is just to be clear from the outset what it is you're able to do what it is you would like some assistance with don't be afraid to speak up and that's it's a really crucial thing because if you stay silent then you don't really have any reason to get annoyed at anyone because you didn't tell them in the first place, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Is there anything further you'd like to add to that, uh, Ty? I... Also, it's a good idea to 
ask the other players to announce their moves. Like, that is something that's very helpful as a partially sighted or a blind player. Like, being able to follow the game is much easier when each player, like, announces their own moves and bonus points for people that state when their turn ends. So, you know, that is the next player turn. So it's much easier to update the board state in your mind when you hear what the other players are doing. So that's another tip for those that are partially sighted or blind and just want to generally have a better time when playing with strangers. Well then, that's it from us for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find us at www.sightless.fun You can reach us via email at sightlessfun at outlook.com and you can also reach us via Twitter at sightlessfun. Thank you for listening and until next time. This episode was hosted by Jed Alexander and Ertai Shashko. Our episode editor is Alpai Shashko. We'd also like to extend a special thank you to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com.